Hey everybody, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod in our series on the Habits of Happiness. We're going through the joyful book of Philippians and looking at the path of happiness, which is actually humility in chapter 2. And last pod, we saw that there are four habits in the humble way of happiness. And we looked at the first one, which was never let pride be your guide, because it's the root of all other sin. Now, let's just jump right into the second habit, which is a flip side of the first one. Be humble or stumble. See, humility is the basis and foundation of every great relationship, of every great marriage, of every great friendship, because in humility, you don't act like you know it all, and you treat each other with respect. You give each other more honor. Fundamental flaw in marriage is or misunderstanding is that we go 50-50. No, marriage isn't 50-50. It's 110 and 110. You give 110, your spouse gives 110. You try to outdo each other. That's the way marriages work. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. See, our culture teaches us we got to do what's best for me. I've got to look out for number one, think about me, and all these selfish, self-centered, narcissistic rules that we've been taught throughout life. And Paul comes around and says, no, 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 no. Be humble and give more honor to others than yourself. Humility is probably the most misunderstood quality that we need desperately in life. A lot of people think humility means, you know, you're going around saying, I'm no good, I'm nothing, I'm zero. I can't do anything right. No, that's not humility. That's actually false humility. That's just degrading yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Remember, you're pretty amazing. You were uniquely created by God. Yes, you, the one you look at in the mirror, the one with all the blemishes and imperfections, you were made by God. There's no one else like you. You're amazing. God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you to be forgiven of your sins and to restart your relationship with God. And God didn't send Jesus to be a sacrifice for someone who isn't worth anything. I mean, we still have to believe and ask him. But if he didn't love us so much, we would never, he would never have done that. We are important. We are made in God's image. And whenever we degrade ourselves or practice false humility, we're degrading what's most important to God. So don't do it. (laughs) Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Hear the difference? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just you think about other people more. The more you think about other people, the less or the more humble you are. We're all a bundle of strengths and weaknesses, and you have some great strengths. You do. You may not think so, but you do. And you have some great weaknesses too. And those you can be like, okay, I got those. But you also have strength. And humility is being honest about both. I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm strong in this. I'm really weak in this. I can tell you, I have some great strengths and I have some enormous weaknesses. Just ask my family. They'll tell you. I'm not trying to hide them. Humility is simply being honest about who you are. If you walk into a room and you think, What does everybody else think about me? How do I look? Is my makeup on just right? Is my hair parted, combed, brushed? Well, you're being prideful. You're thinking solely about yourself. If you walk into a room and be like, hey, I wonder 
what so-and-so is going. I wonder if they're okay. I wonder how I can help some of the people in here. The focus isn't on you. You're being humble. It's on other people. Yesterday, I cooked chicken on the grill for the kids for dinner, and I wasn't feeling great. But I did the bare minimum to provide food for the kids. But then I decided to think, what else would they like for dinner? I mean, what would be the perfect side? Should I make some mac and cheese? Should I cook some fries? It wasn't hard, nor was it really healthy. But the kids ate the fries that I made. They appreciated it. And I was ready to lie down, but then my oldest came home and I realized the other kids ate all the fries. And I had even put the leftover barbecue chicken in the fridge, so I kind of forgot about my oldest daughter. So I took it out and asked her if she wanted it. fries with it. Her eyes lit up and she was like, yeah, that would be great. So I cooked another batch. It wasn't hard. Now, I could have given, gotten away with just letting her eat chicken because she is not picky and she'll just eat whatever I put in front of her. And she wouldn't have said anything. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to put my kids' needs above my own. I'm going to try to be a good parent for a day. <laughs> I decided to be humble and put my kids' needs before me. And I did. And I didn't ask for or get any recognition. It's nice to get a thank you, of course. But humility changes you on the inside where you don't need that. And it makes you happier. So even though I wasn't feeling well, I was feeling happier. Humility has nothing to do with what you think about yourself. Humility is what you think about other people, putting others above yourself. In other words, humility is not putting myself down. It's building others up. Great people make people feel great. Little people be little people. Let me give you another way of saying it. Humility is not denying your strengths. It's just being honest about your weaknesses. And God says, I will give you my presence. I will give you my power. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Every time I'm prideful, I'm on the opposite side of God. I'm in a battle with God, and I'm going to lose that battle because my arms and your arms are way too short to fight it out with God. Now, what's grace? He gives grace to the humble. We usually look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, how we didn't deserve it, but he did it because he loves us. Grace is the ability to forgive when I don't feel like forgiving. Grace is the ability to resolve a conflict with my husband or wife when I don't feel like it. Grace is the ability to compromise. Grace is the ability to get along. Grace is the ability to build a strong relationship when everyone and everything wants to tear it apart. Tear that relationship apart. You need grace. And the only way your relationship will last is with God's grace. And the only way you get God's grace is by being humble. So I must never let pride be my guide. And second habit, I must be humble or I'm going to stumble and my relationships are going to crumble. And that's all the rhymes I have for today. <laughs> so that's a, so that's the first and second habits. Now here's the third. Learn the lost art of paying attention. We all live in an ADD world. Attention deficit disorder. Everyone's got it now. Why? Because our tools and technology have trained us to no longer pay attention to the people around us in our lives. We pay attention to screens more than we pay attention to people. You walk into a meeting and how many people are sitting there look at their phone texting? They're not paying attention to people. They're paying attention to the screens. Or your head is always down in the video game. Or you're walking across campus or taking a lunch break and you got earbuds in and you're listening to your phone. 
there's no way you can pay attention to the people around you. Somebody could be dying and in deep pain, and you're in your own little self-centered world. I'm closed out, everybody else, and I'm in this. You ever go out to dinner lately? I've gone out to dinner, and you have a big family or a group, and no one's talking to each other. The kids are on iPads, the teenagers are on their phones, the adults are checking their social media. Where's talking to each other and enjoying each other's company? Our technology has made us no longer pay attention to people. In other words, you're sitting there with some friends and with two friends maybe, and you're tweeting to 2,500, 5,000, and you're really worried that nobody's retweeting it or nobody's liking your post. What's it saying? It's all about me. Social media can feed your narcissism. It can feed your pride if, it, if you let it. You can get distracted from the very people around you. I was at Acme the other day and there was a mom with three young kids. And you could tell she was tired and was barely keeping her eyes open and she was frustrated trying to keep shopping while one of her kids was trying to unload a plastic bag of vegetables all over the floor. So I quickly stopped the child from emptying the bag, retied it as the mom quickly started to pay attention to what was going on around her, specifically me and what I was doing next to her kids. And I quickly explained what happened and she said, thank you. And I said, I remember those days. I have three kids myself and it can be exhausting. Hang in there and have a great day. Her haggard countenance drastically changed and she smiled back and said goodbye. How many people do you walk by every day and you have lost the art of paying attention because it's all about you? People can be struggling all around you, yet we don't pay any attention. We could be like the Good Samaritan and walk by and not even notice that there's somebody lying on the ground. Like in the Great Samaritan, at least the people noticed him. They chose not to help him. Nowadays, we see problems. We see people. We don't even see them. We just walk right by like they don't even exist. Philippians 2.4 says, Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of other words. Uh, in, interest of others. In other words, don't just be interested in your agenda, your career, your favorite hobbies. Be interested in what other people are interested in and their needs. Think about it. If I were to take a picture of you and I show it to you, what would be the first thing you look for? You would look for yourself. And no doubt you would look, do my hair look good today? Do I look nice? Do I look fat? Do I look skinny? You know, if I took it, you with a group of other people, you would still look at yourself first. And you would ask all those questions. And if you thought you look good, regardless of anybody else, it's a great picture. Now, if you don't look good, and everybody else does, so say you take a picture of 20 people, and 19 of them look great, but you, your eyes are shut, and you'll be, oh, that picture's terrible. It's no good. That's human nature. You think more about you than anything else. And God says, do you want to really be happy? you got to change your frame of reference. Because harmony doesn't come from thinking about you all the time. It comes from you being interested in what other people are interested in and caring about what they care about and being concerned with what they're concerned about. So let me ask you, are you interested in only what concerns you? Do you get bored when you talk to your friends? Do you get bored when they talk about things that you're not interested in, but they are? And something in your mind is going, get me out of here. I'm so bored. Do you, you find your attention drifting in conversations? You need to learn the lost art of paying attention. 
because it's actually an act of love. The greatest gift you can give somebody is your attention because attention is your time and your time is your life. You're never getting it back. And when you give somebody your attention, you're saying, hey, you are the priority. If I give you money, I can always get more money. But if I give you attention, I'm never getting it back. That's why when you're raising kids, the best part of being raising them is being with them. When I look you in the eye and saying, you matter to me. What you're saying is, you are important. See, you can listen without paying attention. In fact, you can sadly get really good at it as a parent, as a partner, as a friend. You're listening and you're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're thinking about a ton of other stuff. They're telling you all about what's going on in their life and you just are not paying attention. We're in the lost start of paying attention. Don't be interested in just your own life, but be interested in others and what others care about. Fourth habit for overcoming conflict is ask what would Jesus do? Oh, I know, I know. That phrase has been played to death for the last 20 years. But look at the passage. It's kind of like... You kind of need to say it. Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in this problem, what's Jesus' mindset? In this time, when someone's feeling guilty, what would he do? What would Jesus do? In this time, when someone's worried, how would Jesus react? How would Jesus react at the office in this situation? What would Jesus do on the golf course? What would Jesus do if he was driving down the freeway next to you and someone just tried to run him off the road? What would he do? You can ask that over and over again and you always come up with a humble answer. You'll always come up with the one that builds harmony and happiness rather than difficulty, defeat, bitterness, and resentment. You say, I don't know what it means to act like Jesus. Okay. How would Jesus act in my school? Act in my marriage? Treat my wife. Treat my husband. You know, fortunately, we have a couple of examples right here in this passage about how Jesus would act. First thing he would do is, don't demand what I think I deserve. Ooh, don't demand what I think I deserve. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7. Who, being in very nature God, that's Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. See, Jesus is God. He comes to earth. He becomes a human being. And he, and even though he's God, he doesn't demand his rights. He empties himself of all that. You say, I have a right to be as a husband. Yeah, you do. I have this right as a right. Yes, you do. But you're not going to get what you need by demanding your rights. The Christ-like thing to do is, I don't demand what I think I deserve. Imagine practicing this while driving. You know, we see the speed limit sign and we think we deserve to go to the speed limit or even five to ten miles over. And when someone is going less than the speed limit by, say, five miles an hour, we freak out. If you're in the interstate and there's three lanes and the car is even in the right lane, but he's going 60 in a 65, you are going to be upset because you feel like you have the absolute right to go at least go to the speed limit. It's my right to do this, and I demand my rights. And you're not being like Jesus. There's a better way to do it. There's a better way to get your needs met than demanding your rights. There are better ways. In fact, demanding just makes people more resistant 
it makes them more retaliatory. You try to beep at the car to go faster, and what do they do? They go slower, right? That's what you do. The Christ-like thing to do is I don't demand what I think I deserve. You can be tender without surrender, and you can be understanding without demanding. You can get your needs met without blowing people away. You do it by being nice to them. Are you understanding or are you demanding? If I want to be like Jesus, I don't demand what I think I deserve. Second, look for ways I can serve. Verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to learn to serve. That's the exact opposite of our culture. Our culture says the whole point, goal, main thrust in life is to get other people to serve you. The more people you have serving you, the more important you are. The more you give your life away, though, the more God blesses you with honor. It's kind of called the Mother Teresa principle. I've heard of it about. It's called that. Mother Teresa gave her life away helping the least influential people in the world. Beggars on the streets dying in Calcutta. And God raised her up to be as a position of influence. She had influence over the United Nations, the U.S. Congress, and all kinds of things. Why? Because God says the way up is down. God says before honor is humility. And if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Now, you can practice this. It's a habit that you can develop. It does not come naturally. And you develop the habit not in doing big things, but little things. See, God tests your humility every single day of your life. When you walk out of your workplace and you see some trash on the street, it's a test. Will you pick it up? No, that's for others to pick up. That's beneath me. I'm too good for that. I don't have to pick that up. They pay people to do that. You make up reasons, but this is a test. How humble are you? Are you a servant? Why not just pick up the piece of trash? It's not even hard. We're testing the little things of life all the time. Character is revealed in great crises, but it's built in the little day-to-day things like returning the grocery cart to the lot. How many times you walked out of the grocery store? You brought your groceries, you're in the cart, you're tired, and you go, I don't really want to take it back. Because for some reason, sometimes those cart corrals or the front of the store is in the most inconvenient location. And you don't want to take it back. So you just leave it there. Because, hey, there's another cart right there. I'll just do what other people do. This is a test and you just failed. It's a test of your pride. It's a test of your humility. It's a test whether you have a genuine servant's heart. I let other people do that. You know, you've just proven the point. You think you're better. And if everybody did what you did, nothing would ever get put back. We're testing the little things in life. And you know what? Why is it so hard to put the cart back? And you know what would be even better? What if you gathered another cart that was next year's and you pushed two carts back? Whoa, we are tested in the little things of life and then it's shown in the big things. So if you want to be successful, if you want to be great in the big things, look at the little things. Third, do what is right even when it's painful. That's what it means to act like Jesus. What would he do? He doesn't demand what he thinks he deserves. He looks for ways that he can serve. And he do what's right even when it's painful. Verse 8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did the right thing, even though it was excruciatingly painful. That's what it means to do. 
what's right when it's painful because Jesus is the ultimate model of humility. Now, is there a payoff to all this? Is there a reward? Yeah. Because Jesus was the greatest example of humility, God has given Jesus the greatest honor in the universe. Verse 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says Jesus has a name greater than every other name. Have you ever wondered why people use Jesus' name to swear? Have you ever really thought about it? Nobody ever says my name. Nobody says, oh, Matt Nancy. <laughs> Nobody ever uses that to cuss because we don't matter that much. Why do people use Jesus' name? Because there's no name higher in the universe. People who swear don't even realize when they're swearing why they're using Jesus' name because there's no higher name. There's no greater name. People don't go, oh, Buddha. <laughs> they say, oh, Jesus. Why? Because there's no greater name. People don't go, oh, Allah. <laughs> no. Because Jesus is a greater name. Notice it says one day in heaven that everyone's going to be gathered at the judgment day. And every single person who's ever lived, every knee will bow. This is the highest honor and every tongue will confess in other words they're going to finally admit that jesus is lord and give god and give glory to god the father even atheists are going to acknowledge the truth every knee and every tongue will confess you know sometimes i get discouraged when i look around the world and think about how much worse can it get it's encouraging to me that someday all the arrogance, all the idolatry, and all the denial, it's going to end. And at that scene when every person who's ever been created by God bows before Jesus and confesses who he is, and every nationality will be there, every age, every religion, every political stripe, every business person, and all the scientists, homemakers, you name it, athletes, everybody will be there. And they'll all be saying one thing, that Jesus is Lord. So when you're discouraged, why don't you try those words, Jesus is Lord. When you're tempted, say Jesus is Lord. When you're worried and feeling stressed out and fearful, say Jesus is Lord. When you're fatigued, say Jesus is Lord. When you're lonely, say Jesus is Lord. And when you're grieving, say Jesus is Lord. It may look like the wrong side is winning, but Jesus is Lord. It may look like your problems are insurmountable and you're never going to get out of debt, but Jesus is Lord. It may look like you feel like you can't cope with one more day, but Jesus is Lord. It may look like we're never going to resolve these marriage problems, but Jesus is Lord. It may look like circumstances are against me and that people want to defeat me, but Jesus is Lord. He's God and we're not. That's called humility. And ultimately, it's the path of happiness. So let's recap those four habits of humility. Number one, never let pride be your guide. Flip side, be humble or stumble. Third, learn the lost art of paying attention. And fourth, ask that old question that has gotten so much use over the years. What would Jesus do in this situation? Well, I hope that encouraged you today. And I will see you in the next pod as we continue going through Philippians and see what next is going to be said on our journey to be happy no matter what life throws at us. God bless. See you in the next pod.